Hello and welcome to Radio Maria. This is Credo, a program where we look at some aspect of the faith and we have a speaker speak to us either on some theological um, topic or looking at scripture or the like. And today is the ninth um, part in a ten-part series that has been given by Father Vladimir Flautzman, who I'm very um, pleased to have join me here through a, a live Zoom meeting. So hello, Father Vlad. Good afternoon. Welcome to everybody, anywhere, wherever you are. It's so lovely to see you again. And um, today is the ninth in a 10-part series that you're doing, and um, you're going to be continuing to give us some of the wisdom and the experiences that you have learnt over your many, many years of being a priest longer than I've been alive. It's mm -hmm. uh, five decades of priesthood. Am yep. I right? Absolutely. You see, as 53 years as a priest, I've learned that you can't change others, but you can, and indeed, as a priest, you should give them the tools for the job. <laughs> and one of those important tools is motivation. And that's the theme of today, motivation. The answer to the question, why? Why do I? Why do you do anything? It's a question that hangs on its question mark firmly in my mind. Some questions cannot be answered with any certainty. I mean, why did God create the universe? This side of the grave, we can only guess. The best answer seems to me to be because goodness of its very nature tends to spread. The full answer we shall discover only once we are born into eternity and meet God. In some cases, the question is irrelevant. When I had my two operations for my two kidney stones 10 years apart, I could not care less whether the surgeon did a good job out of pride, routine, competing with his peers, earning a fee. As long as the outcome was great, the motivation did not matter to me, and the outcome was good. Two small holes in the back of my back, and all that can be seen. We've all done the right thing for the wrong reason. Sometimes we're only vaguely conscious, if that, that our motives are less than an ideal match for our actions. More often, however, we assume that provided the outcome is the right one, our motives don't really matter all that much. From a purely consequentialist ethical perspective, outcomes tend to be what concern us. Therefore, we can get away with not examining the rationale directing us to act the way we do so closely. However, ever since my Eriske experience, experience, which I mentioned before, when I had my personal Pentecost experience, I've tried to do and was motivated by the desire to do God's will what I thought God wanted me to do. So I started to attend daily mass on weekdays, one at Clapham College at the Redemptorist Church at Clapham Common. In Latin, those days, we're talking about the 50s, the priest zoomed through the mass, which took less than 20 minutes. So I had enough time to arrive at school on time. Realizing that everything I have is a gift, 
alone, I started to take my studies seriously. And Ubuntu was the result. I was award, awarded prizes every year. I also volunteered to work as an assistant scoutmaster for the 28th Stretton Troop, based at the church of St. Simon and St. Jude, Hillside Road. It was me helping God look after these young children and help them develop their virtues. I never wanted to be a teacher, and as I enjoyed maths and physics, I imagined God wanted me to help him make the world a better place by becoming a civil engineer. So I applied to and was accepted by Imperial College. At the end of the first academic year, I was given my summer practical experience, no choice of mine, to go to Tarbert in Argyll. The beauty, the geology and geography of that area generated a crisis in my heart. My Eriska experience mushroomed into a crisis. I had to give myself to God. So, on the 23rd of September, I joined Opus Dei as a new member. My motive had been to assuage my yearnings for commitment to God. Its outcome was joy, peace, delight, and a great education in spirituality, ethics, and within 10 years, my priesthood. When taking notes at Imperial College and then at the Lateran University, to keep me focused on why I was taking those notes, I used to write AMDG, Latin, Ad Maiorem Dei Gloriam, for the greater glory of God, in the top right-hand corner of the A4 sheets. For my confirmation, I had taken the name of Francis, Francis Xavier. You see, while I was at prep school, I had been reading and rereading the life of Francis Xavier and was immensely impressed how after Pope Leo III had asked the newly founded Jesuits to go to convert Portuguese Indian colonies to Christianity and the man assigned to go there fell ill, Francis Xavier volunteered to take his place, even though it meant a huge, slow, extremely uncomfortable and badly victualized journey across the ocean and South, America, South Africa. His love of Christ and desire to bring as many people as possible to believe in Christ motivated him to go. And what a coincidence, he arrived in India 6th of May 1542, exactly 397 years before I was born. This year, King Charles shares his coronation with my 84th birthday. Lucky man. Francis Xavier's commitment to God moved me. Now, there are three types of motivation, extrinsic, intrinsic, and familial. Extrinsic ones is doing an activity to attain or avoid a separate outcome. Like exercising to lose weight, learning to speak Italian to impress your friends, or getting to work on time to avoid being yelled at by your boss. Extrinsic motivation is doing something for the external rewards you get from it. In your career, this could include financial gain, benefits, perks, and even getting a, avoid getting fired. 
When you find your inspiration waning, refocusing on external rewards is a quick way to recommit it to a goal or activity. Whether that be performing well at work or sticking to an ex exercise routine. If you find yourself grumbling through your commute each day to form a job you're not crazy about, try focusing on the external rewards. Be it the paycheck that pays your rent, the health insurance, or even the free fruit in the cafeteria to get motivated. Recently, I was informed that there is data that shows that people who are now working a four-day week rather than the recently traditional five-day week, were more motivated and thus worked so much harder that in four, year, four days, they had their weekly productivity improved. Obviously, if you're a priest, you can't just work four days a week. Uh, you need motivation 24-7, as sometimes people do need you in the middle of the night. In Japan in 1635, Sakoku, literally changed country, edict, was motivated by the shogunate to remove the colonial and religious influences of primarily Spanish and Portugal, which were perceiving as posing a threat to the stability of the country. The motivation of the United Netherlands, what is now Holland, in the first half of the 17th century to build up its neighbouring world trade was its desire and a need to extend the Dutch commercial sphere beyond Europe. Its population was growing and needed more stuff. Their success in combining war and trade, conducted in widely separated theatres simultaneously, won them vast commercial colonial empire in Asia, Africa and America. Remember that what in 1664 became called New York had been, since 1624, New Amsterdam. Then there's intrinsic motivation, an internal drive for success or sense of purpose. The Journal of Contemporary Educational Psychology defines intrinsic motivation as a doing an activity for its inherent satisfaction rather than for some separable consequence. When intrinsically motivated, a person is moved to act for the fun or challenge entailed, rather than external products, pressures or rewards, like going for a run, socialising, helping a neighbour carry their shopping, or even going to a weekly mass, because it makes them feel good. It may be doing a purposeful job to enjoy and feel it's worth doing, like me taking Holy Communion to the housebound or celebrating Mass in prisons. Just because you don't immediately see the connection with your own job doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Step back and take a look at the role you perform each day and look for sources of success or purpose. For example, you may not care much about the product your company sells or find satisfaction in field and phone calls but as a customer service rep, you can focus on feeling good about the people you are able to help through that day and use that as a source of motivation to keep going. My desire to support Ukraine motivated me to obtain 
gifts from my sister living in Paris, two pairs of socks in yellow and blue colors, the colors of the Ukrainian flag. This morning, as I was leaving Westminster Cathedral, a woman came up to me and asked me how to get to Victoria. As I walked across with her, the piazza, given her accent, I asked, where was she from? Ukraine, she replied. What a joy in her face when I pulled up my trousers and she saw those socks, yellow and blue colours. You never know how things turn out. When I got those from my sister, I never imagined I would meet that lady outside of Westminster Cathedral. Then thirdly, it's familial, a desire to provide for your loved ones. Seeing Christ present in people, remembering Matthew 25, 40, what you do to the least of mine, you are doing to me, motivates me. Getting up in the middle of the night, Jesus, Yeshua, yes, I'm doing this for you. Sensing that presence in every member of God's family will enhance the quality of your life. It's good for the people you help and it will be good for you. There are two categories of motivation, the pullers and pushers, needs and values, our goals, our ambitions, duty, a dream. Like Pope John XXIII's for bringing the church up to date through Vatican II, or like Nicholas Sturgeon's wish for Scottish independence. Those inner urges to leave a legacy, or perhaps for others to make money, become famous as well as hunger and thirst, and of course, loves the people you love. As our yearnings for recognition, hope of rewards, needs across the pies, hunger, suspicion, hate or love, justice, draw us forward. The pushers are fear of pain, danger, boredom, rejection, loneliness, fear of obesity and or dementia, loneliness, loss of prestige, not doing the best for God. Hence, I prepare my homilies from a Sunday afternoon for the following Sunday. And how about taking a little musical break while you think about that?
once they have hit rock bottom and people have admitted they have an addiction like alcohol or gambling or drugs, drive people to go through pain to obtain gain and start to be cured. The key thing, you have to help them admit they have a problem and admit they don't want to have the problem so that the pain is worth it and eventually they recover. As one of my past pupils never managed to get rid of his alcoholism until he ended up in jail. And those three years in jail cured him completely of alcoholism. For the past five years, he's been dry. The quality of motivation can radically, swiftly, or eventually change for the better or for worse. Bear that in mind that motivation is like life itself. It changes or you have to keep it going. Otherwise it can obviously improve, but it can also decay. Vocation, an inner urge, love of God and enjoying life. I encourage young people to go for what they enjoy doing most. I think that's what God would like them to do, if at all possible. Whether it's creativity, painting, writing, photography, medicine. I remember one lad saying he would specialise in dermatology, as in this department, there were never urgent needs to get up in the middle of the night to solve a medical necessity. The seven gifts of the Holy Spirit motivate us to seek wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. Some folk prefer the negative motivation of avoiding the seven deadly sins. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. As I mentioned before, inspired by Churchill, who hated Stalin and Hitler, sided with Stalin to beat Hitler, I use my vices to keep them in a civil war. My vanity fights my gluttony, hence I haven't developed a big tummy. Pride fights the others. Many of my virtues are, in fact, don't tell anybody, the outcome of these virtuous visual, vital wars. Motivation drives. Some people have a very strong feeling of having a vocation, a strong inclination to a particular state or course of action. It may be a divine call to life. It may be yearning to help others through nursing or teaching. Or, like Francis Xavier, to convert the pagans to Christianity. Sense of autonomy. Some people like doing a job that's yours alone and you're in command. I'm a bit like that myself. I'm more a Pauline rather than a Petrine priest. Rather than sitting in a parish, I like to go out, and I did go out and start organising things, setting them up, as I'll mention in a few minutes. For some people, it's wealth, so they have comfort and fame and a nice retirement. 
desire for mastery. That's encapsulated in a quote by French psychologist Emile Couet de Chateaugrain. Every day and every way, I'm getting better and better. Sense of purpose. Your actions contribute to self-identified reasons for your existence. Feelings of familiar contribution. Helping young people. Yesterday, we celebrated the 100th birthday of Cardinal Basil Hume. He was born in 2323, and a lovely mass in the cathedral, celebrated by Cardinal Vincent. And years ago, just after Christmas 88, Basil Hume just returned from his break in Hare Street. So I came into his office and said, have you got a moment, lad? So I sat down and he said, you know, we've got to do something to help young people find God in their lives. I don't know what it is, but would you do it? Pause. I can think of someone to run the cathedral, someone to run the university chaplaincy, someone to run the seminary, but I can't think of anybody but you. Would you do it? How could I say no? And he also said, oh, by the way, I'd also like us to have our own diocesan pilgrimage to Lourdes. Could you start organising that? Of course, Father, I said. My motive, to help young adults. Came to life when, back in 85, just after I arrived at the cathedral, Pastor Hume asked the people involved in ministry for young people, I, he knew I was a teacher for 12 years, to come to All Saints Pastoral Centre for a weekend of discussion. How can we improve our provision for young people in our diocese? And in one of the breakout sessions, I was there with Ridge Dunkley, who was in those days a seminarian. And he loved Lourdes and suggested we go to Lourdes. I loved retreats and preached many. So together we said, well, why don't we have a retreat in Lourdes? Half term in October, we go to Lourdes when there's very few people around, prices have gone down and we could help the young people. And when I suggested that to Basil Hume, he said, okay, organize it. So next October in 86, 350 young people in six coaches left Westminster Cathedral after mass and drove overnight to Lourdes. And we had a fantastic uh, week and YAP was born, the Young Adults Pilgrimage to Lourdes. And Yappers began to be a reality in Westminster Diocese. And as I was organising chaplaincy for years at schools, in most schools there was at least one ex-Yapper teaching who'd got that desire picked up 
in a retreat in Lourdes to help God make the world a better place. Sometimes people are motivated, as I was, to improve my own knowledge. So when I was asked by the Auxiliaries of the Apostolate, this wonderful organization of lay women in Lourdes, to have a teaching sessions, teaching weeks every couple of years, because I was interested in researching these topics. I gave one in 2000 on the Blessed Trinity, 2002 on the Holy Spirit, pneumatology as it's called, 2004, the New Testament, and 2006, the link between creation and redemption. They benefited, taped it, and carried on using it after I stopped going there. And I enjoyed it and learned a great deal. So study so you can teach. Feelings of peer approval. One of the reasons that pushes me to preach as well as I can, especially when I was in the cathedral, was that I'd be approved by my peers. You know, well done, Vlad, it's a nice one, rather than bloody hell. What a waste of time. So usually we have a mix, sort of a casserole of motivations, and that's okay. God knows we're doing our best, and it's quite useful to use these boosters to do, keep on keeping on. One of the reasons I keep writing articles is because I need to research them, and it helps me use my mind. And I think if you keep using your brain, it's more likely to age more slowly. You know, lose it if you don't use it. So I admit, one of the reasons I was very happy to give these so far nine talks was it had to make me think, make me write. And it was a joy, certainly for me to give it, probably good for my mind, and I hope good for you, listener, if there is anybody out there listening, and I'm sure you there are. Standing on the shoulders of giants. When you're reaching further forward, perfection can help you break through and push you onto a new plane of innovation and achievement. If you ever come across somebody with obsessive compulsive disorder, and I've done that a number of times, OCD as it's called, and wondered why people have to act the way they act, repeating things, it's because they feel driven to perform these repetitive behaviors by a need to reduce anxiety related to their obsessions or prevent something bad from happening. However, engaging in the compulsions brings no pleasure and often offers only temporary relief from anxiety. If they've had painful childhood experience or suffered trauma, abuse or bullying, they might learn to use obsessions and compulsions to cope with anxiety. If their parents had similar anxieties and showed similar kinds of compulsive behavior, they may have learnt OCD behaviors as a coping technique. If these OCD sufferers are your friends, do let them know that meditation is an important part of OCD recovery. 
for various reasons. But most importantly, but it gives them time between the trigger and their response to that trigger. Seasoned meditators found that they have stronger operative connectivity between the prefrontal cortex, the thinking part of the brain, and the amygdala, the emotional reactive part of the brain, and the center of the fight-flight response. The stronger this particular link in the brain, the lesser person will be hijacked by emotional ups and downs of all sorts. I've often thought, why do people go skiing when it's so dangerous? And a, a very good friend of mine's girlfriend, while skiing a couple of weeks ago, broke a leg and is in plaster for the next four or five months because it's a bad break. Why they do it? Well, I had to look it up, didn't I? There seems to be a neurological explanation why skiing is so enjoyable. The lateral acceleration stimulates a set of receptors within the inner ear that connects us to the center of the earth. Any change in that relative position of gravity makes the otolith, that's the word, a piece of calcium sitting in the membrane of the ear roll. This gives the body a feeling that it is moving relative to the center of the earth. This creates a feel-good state where the mind and body experience gives you that ultimate in skiing. Besides, this feeling puts you in the zone. It can be used for meditation as well. Thus, when somebody half jokes that skiing is their therapy, there is actually evidence to back it up. The other question I looked up was, why do people stamp collect? The motivation, it seems, is the pure joy of collecting, locating and purchasing rare stamps or stamps needed to complete a particular type of collection provides the individual with a sense of accomplishment and pride. Just the pure joy of the hunt and the find is enough reason for some people. As you know, migration is growing on a greater scale all the time and not just across the English Channel. There's a whole series of motivations behind those migrations. Some people escape conflict zones. Between 2000 and 2020, the number that fled conflict, crisis, persecution, violence, or human rights violation doubled from 17 to 34 million. Some people emigrate due to environmental factors, floods, drought. They just cannot live anymore where they lived before. Some to escape poverty. Some for personal needs. Somebody is living abroad that they love and they want to go and stay with them. Some to escape the problems where they're living. Many times minorities, religious or sexual, have been seeing the need to move from their home country to a more tolerant nation, so that they can begin a life they always wanted. Think the Puritan, Puritans and the Plymouth Brethren, sailing, escaping from England to America. Some immigrate for higher education, 
some emigrate because they fall in love with somebody who is from a, living abroad. Some for a better health care. That's one of the people, one of the big reasons that people came to England years ago was because you could have give birth to a child of the NHS without having to pay vast sums of money as you had to back home, wherever you came from in Europe. Motivate, motivated by my desire to use my time on earth as creatively as possible, helping God make the world a better place, I developed my seven strides to success. I decide what I want, my aims. I write them down. I set the deadline. I make a list of steps, objectives to get me there. Organize my list, prioritizing objectives, act, work, keep on, keeping on. My seven steps to success in life are, I edit my mindset to see that anything I aim for, given the right resources, is possible. I convince myself of that. So as I've convinced myself that I'm young and my body believes me so far. I surround myself with go-getters, people that can help. I never feel comfortable. I keep on keeping on. I build mental strength by celebrating past successes and keep focused on my goal. Like when I started that YAP, Young Adults Pilgrimage to Lourdes, the Westminster Diocese Pilgrimage to Lourdes. When people ask me, you know, what are some of the most wonderful moments of your ministry, Vlad? Well, one of them was after the first Mass, or during the first Mass of our first pilgrimage to Lourdes, when there were 1,300 people in the Cathedral of the Trees, suddenly it struck me, without me, they wouldn't be here. What an Ubuntu moment. I'd help them get to Lourdes, but what a joy, what pride, thanking God that this had actually happened. When Basil Hume asked me to help young people find God in their lives, I thought about it, prayed about it, and started SPEC, the Spiritual Peer Educational Centre in All Saints Pastoral Centre in Hertfordshire. That ran for 20 years, of the diocese sold it, and we were working with 14,000 young people every year towards the end. I started loft there for the younger people, converting a loft, thanks to national money, for younger people. But then because young people in East London would never leave East London to go to Hertfordshire, it seemed like Indian territory for them, I started Spec East, a centre like Spec, in a converted school, I raised almost a million pounds to achieve that. And when it was closed down, it was taken over by the Jesuits and it's their center for refugees. So that effort in, that went into converting that rundown school into a lovely center was really worthwhile. Reflect on myself to see how I'm keeping up with my resolutions to support. I stay curious. How did others succeed? I pray taps, thanking, asking, praising and saying sorry 
to motivate my pies, those physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual components of my life. Now, how about a little bit of music while you think about all that?
That was um, Laudate Dominum, sung by the Welsh, Welsh boy treble Kai Thomas. And um, we've been listening to Father Vlad speaking to us about um, the pies of life. And before he carries on, I just want to mention that we will be taking callers. So if you'd like to call in and ask Father Vlad a question, or if there's something which Father Vlad has said which you'd like to hear him um, speak about in more uh, detail, the number is 01223-375-564. And um, you can call in from anywhere in the world just by putting plus 44 in front of that without the zero. And um, I'll take your call, so don't worry about interrupting Father Vlad, and then I'll pass you on to him. So zero one two two three three seven five five six four. Over to you again, Father Vlad. Yes, to stay as young as possible, I'm a moved to avoid thinking old. My philosophy resonates with Robert Louis Stevenson's "Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but." by the seeds you plant. And Eleanor Roosevelt's, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. As mentioned last week, our minds are, can be hugely powerful. The placebo effect is sometimes as powerful as any chemical intervention. When US Army surgeon Henry Beecher ran out of morphine, he told his patients that the saline drip he had inserted was morphine. They believed him and felt no pain during their operation. The power of the brain is, as the American would say, awesome. Over my 83 years on this planet, almost 84, I remain an optimist. I'm in fine company. Winston Churchill stated, I am an optimist. It does not seem too much use being anything else. If the world is like a chessboard, of course there are black squares. But I've been motivated, as Jesus Christ was, to concentrate on the white ones. To stay in step with reality, I know I've needed a constant metanoia, a repentance, a change of thinking. When discussing the past, bear in mind that for an increasing number of folk, an increasing section of your life is, for them, history. I lived through the World War II. I saw the landing on the moon as I was preparing for my ordination in 69. I remember the Beatles actually being in London. Life has taught me the accuracy of St Paul's Omnia in Bonum, OIB as I call it, all will be well when you love God. It's a very good motivation to keep you cool and not worry when things don't seem to be going right. Three examples. Early one Sunday morning, driving northwards at Hendon, the car in front of me stalled as the lights turned green. I groaned. However, thank God. As I approached the traffic lights at the top of the hill, and my lights were green, a car shot across from right to left. Had I not stalled down below, it would have hit me on my driving side seat. Number two, a friend was held up in heavy traffic and thus arrived late at the Twin Towers after the planes had crashed. Had he been in time, his time would certainly have come. And finally, something similar with another friend of mine in Australia this time. Due to a number of cases, he arrived too late to catch the light plane that was due to take off to a country destination. 
Later that day, he learned that it had crashed. Recent. Last June, unable to cross the Heston Road due to passing cars, I, would, I just missed the 120 bus. Instant, oh shucks. Then aware of OIB, I quickly calmed. As I walked up the bus stop, a couple with a young boy walked up to that bus stop. After a short pause, the man thanked and praised me for the blue and yellow ribbon spin to my lapel. We are from Ukraine. He had been in London for a few years. His wife and child had arrived two days ago. He car we carried on in a staccato conversation. The English was not too good until the bus came. After we shook hands, I stayed downstairs, they went upstairs. Had I not missed that bus, I would not have had that conversation. And then on the tube up platform, not being able to answer the question raised by an Irish couple, how do we get to Paddington? So whenever I'm held up, I shrug and stay calm. To stay young, I'm motivated to eschew grumpiness, all too common down the ages with the aged. I read out last time, yesterday, words in a 6,000-year-old Egyptian tomb. Then a bit earlier, a bit later on, I mean, closer to our date, I see no hope in the future of our people if they are dependent on frivolous youth of today. For certainly, all youth are reckless beyond words. When I was young, we were taught to be discreet and respect our elders. But the present youth are exceeding disrespectful and impatient of restraint. Spoken by a Greek poet, Hesiod, arrive alive between 750 and 650 before the Common Era, before Christ was born, around the time of Homer. It seemed worthwhile to take a short tour around the motives of a few salient original Testament personalities. You can do the same, develop them. Let's start off with the baddie, Cain. Cain, a farmer, was motivated by rage, the hatred of his brother Abel, after the Lord accepted the offering of his brother, a shepherd, in preference to his own. He murdered Abel and was banished by the Lord. Moses is often cited as a biblical example of servant leadership. He wanted to do God's will, and that included leading the chosen people from slavery to freedom in what is now the Holy Land. He was motivated by deep love of God and others, humility in his approach to God and his own abilities, and his impetus to serve God and his chosen people. The greatness of King David was due to a bag of mixed motives, his love of God and his inability to curb his lust that made him a murderer of Uriah. With all his weaknesses, her commitment to God's will, his courage, his divine anointing, his leadership skills, his exploits as a warrior, his psalms, that re-echoes humanity's emotional struggles, made him a great and memorable personality. Samson, motivated by his love for doing God's will, as well as being able to control his uh, lustful urges. Delilah convinced him of her love, yet she also wanted to discover the secret of his massive strength. Samson, a man of faith, though not a faithful man, once captured and blinded, prayed to God 
who gave him back his strength, enabling him to bring down the roof of where he was, killing more Philistines than he had managed during his early life. Deborah is presented in the rabbinic sources as a very talented woman. She was an upright judge with the same prophetic ability as Samuel. Torah teachers would come to learn from her. This ability was granted to her as a reward for her good deeds, namely the preparation of wicks for the tabernacle. She also encouraged the fellow Israelites to regularly attend the synagogue and the tabernacle. And so on, then we come to, of course, Jesus, dedicated his entire life to pleasing God. In John 5.30, Jesus says, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. What was Jesus' motivation for his ministry? It was to please God his Father. Jesus was a master of motivation, and examining his techniques and choices can be instructive as you seek to develop your own style and successfully motivate others. Here are four things Jesus did to achieve success as a master motivator. He chose carefully. His first step to succeed when motivating others is not always trying to motivate others. Jesus didn't try to motivate everybody. He chose his apostles. He wanted to have the right people. He engaged personally. Jesus didn't deliver soapbox speeches. He didn't speak to PowerPoint slides, PowerPoint slides. And he certainly didn't blanket the marketplace with mailers. Of course, Jesus didn't have access to computer software or direct mail. But even if he had, it seems pretty likely that he would not have been using them. To Jesus, mentorship and motivation was a one-to-one -one activity. Each person Jesus encountered received a message tailored to them. He challenged deeply. So much of modern business communication and motivational speaking boils it down to generic exhortations and superficial promises of success. Jesus took his disciples out on a real body of water, one with a long history of violent and stormy weather, and actually commanded them to overcome their fear by walking on the water. Peter was so deathly afraid of taking the risk that he initially refused, then eventually followed Jesus and experienced the achievement of overcoming his fears in the most visual and personal way. And finally, Jesus was committed sacrificially. Jesus recognized the essential place of sacrifice as a core component of leadership in both the profoundly divine and also a completely human way. Motivation, like all traits of leadership, begin by example. You can't motivate others effectively by telling them to do one thing while you do another. Of course, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice, giving up his life so that others might live the best possible lives across their lives. But even prior to Good Friday, Jesus made immeasurable sacrifices of his time and energy in order to serve others. This servant heart and total dedication was at the core of his success as one who helps others discover what motivates them to believe and to act. Thus, St. Paul 
saw life as a war, 2 Corinthians 10, I see it more like a pilgrimage and a sport. To arrive at my destination and win the game, I use Churchill's strategy, using enemies to fight enemies and to achieve the goal. Father Vlad, I don't want to interrupt you, but we're almost at the end. Yes. We have a caller. I'm out. So, well, that is where we shall leave it. Um, we. Ha I wonder if we can fit in a, a short question. We have a caller on the line. It's Augusta. Hello, Augusta. Hello, my dear. You have yes. a question for Father Vlad. You must keep well, it keep uh, it quick, Augusta, because we don't yes. have much time. Go for it. Okay. Um. What I wanted to say was, I've been a chosen a messenger uh, of the millions of messengers. I'm one of the little messengers. And mm -hmm. I have to collect uh, as much money as I can to build something. And I'm, I'm needing all the prayers and anyone who has any idea that they would be able to get money out of somebody if they could pass it on to me. I would be wanted to pass it on to whoever's going to do the building. Augusta, we, um, yes. unfortunately we, we can't appeal uh, uh, for, for funds on um, radio, but we can definitely give you our prayers, and I'm sure Father Vlad yes. would be happy to um, to close yeah. this uh, today's with talk with a prayer. Thank you, Father Vlad. Loving Father God, we thank you for all the gifts we have received across the pies, our physical life, our intellectual life, our emotional life, and our spiritual life. May we spread the goodness you have given us to others. And may this caller that just asked receive the funds she needs to achieve her goal, if that is your will. And I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Vlad.